pulled a question and it was, what is the secret wish that you have? And right away, without missing a beat, he's like, want to be a soccer player like Ronaldo. And it's like, yes, you know, most of our kids want to be soccer players or athletes of some sort. So, um, you know, I laughed at him and I said, okay, well, what else? And so it was kind of at that point where he kind of got really quiet and serious and he thought about it for a few moments. And then he looks at me and suddenly he's really shy and he's like, I want to share my story. And I just was blown away with that because... How often do you have teenagers tell you that they want to share their story? So I said, well, what do you mean? And so we talked about how in the time that he had arrived in Canada, in the nine, ten months he had been here, he realized that a lot of people didn't understand why he was a refugee and why did he leave Syria and why was it suddenly... Welcome to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast that explores the world of English language learners and how we can make a greater impact. Each episode, we bring you voices from across the ELL community to discuss the issues that matter most. Highest Aspirations is brought to you by Elevation Education, your partner for ELL program management and instruction. Hey everybody, welcome back to Highest Aspirations. I'm your host, Steve Sophronis. What you're about to hear is part one of a two-part series on the book Homes, A Refugee Story, written by Winnie Young and Abubakar al-Rabia. This first episode in the series is an interview with Winnie Young, who is the author of the book and also an ESL teacher in Edmonton, Canada. In this episode, we talk with Winnie about how she met this incredible young man, Abubakar, who is a refugee uh, from Syria, originally from Iraq, um, how he first started in the school system where Winnie works, and perhaps more importantly, what his life was like uh, in Syria when he was getting ready to flee to come to Canada. This was a really special episode for me, um, having had the opportunity to speak with both of these people about their process in, in bringing to life this wonderful book. And it was special for me because it is a book that I read uh, and really had an impact on my life, as well as uh, members of my family as well. We'd really love to hear from you. Um, let us know what you think. You can certainly leave us a voicemail on the Anchor app, or you can get in touch with me at stephens@elevationeducation.com. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoy the episode. Let's get started. Hello, Winnie. Welcome to Highest Aspirations. Thank you so much for having us, Stephen. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to finally um, have you. I I read your book a while back, and I've been I've been really waiting for for a while to get you on, and we've finally made it happen, and I'm excited about it. So I want to start off by saying that that both my wife and I, in fact, my wife stole the book for me first, and she read it first, but we've both read Holmes, um, and and now we're passing it on to our 13 year old daughter. She has like this huge summer reading list, so she hasn't gotten to it yet, but I'm sure she will on the Kindle. Um, and and I just want to thank you for writing such an inspirational story. It's really helped. Um, my, myself, my wife, and my own family um, empathize with the struggles of others around the world. So I just want to start off by saying thank you. That means a lot to both Abubakar and I, and um, I know I'm personally very honored that people are reading it. So thank you so much. 
Absolutely. Yeah. It's just so uh, authentic and just a, just a wonderful read. So I want to start from the beginning. When did you first meet Abubakar and what were your first impressions of him when you met? You know, honestly, my first impression of, of Abubakar probably goes back to my interview um, for the position because I met Abubakar in September of 2015, so the start of the school year for us, and I started working with him one-on-one as his ESL um, or ELL teacher in that year, but before, my, I had this impression of him before because my principal was talking to me about um, my position that would include some ELL pull-out work. And he said, "In just with such excitement, I have a gift for you. And the gift is this child, this student who is a Syrian refugee. And his English is very, very, very basic because he's only been in the country for about um, eight months and you would have this gift of time of working one-on-one with him. And so right away, I was blown away with that, um, thinking this gift of a child. And as soon as I met him, um, I knew what my principal, Brad Burns, was talking about because the light in Abubakar's eyes was, it was just so genuine and so warm and he was so excited to be there and it's grade nine so not many kids are that excited to be there so my initial impression of him was just wow we are going to have a stunning year together that's great and i you know i'm 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 smiling because i'm thinking i i was a ninth grade teacher high school teacher for a long time myself and I can certainly relate, like, uh, you know, many students are not extremely excited, at least on the outside, to be there. So to see that light in his eyes must have been wonderful. And I just absolutely love um, you saying, you quoting your principal and saying, I have a gift for you. That just reflects, um, I think, the asset-based nature or the asset-based attitude that we need to take on when we um, are given the wonderful opportunity to work with students like Abu Bakar. So much so, Yes. So you, you meet him, um, you see this, you have a wonderful first impression right away. Um, how did the idea come about that you're going to write a story together about his experience? How long did that take and, and how did that idea materialize? Um, well, that took a while. Um, and by a while, I mean two months, um, which I guess within the course of the school year feels like a long time. Um, Really, it took us quite a long time to get there because, again, at that point, um, Abubakar, although he had received some English language instruction when he was in school in Syria, um, you know, he readily admits that he remembers very little. He remembered yes, no, and thank you. And so by the time that I met him, he had been at our school for about six months from January to June, and then there was summer. And as you know, what happens during the summer, the students forget everything. And so his language ability was um, basic. You could handle kind of regular conversations. And so in the time that I spent with him, um, I would pull him out of regular classes and we would work one-on-one. And each one of these uh, about 45-minute lessons, um, I would start with different kinds of little conversation starters. And so it was actually in October, so two months into our time together, when I pulled the question and it was, what is the secret wish that you have? And right away, without missing a beat, he's like, want to be a soccer player like Ronaldo. 
And it's like, yes, you know, most of our kids want to be soccer players or athletes of some sort. So, um, you know, I laugh at him and I said, okay, well, what else? And so it was kind of at that point where he kind of got really quiet and serious and he thought about it for a few moments. And then he looks at me and suddenly he's really shy and he's like, I want to share my story. And I just was blown away with that because... How often do you have teenagers tell you that they want to share their story? So I said, well, what do you mean? And so we talked about how in the time that he had arrived in Canada, in the nine, ten months he had been here, he realized that a lot of people didn't understand like, why he was a refugee and why did he leave Syria and why was it suddenly in the news that people were starting to come over and um, you know, at this point, uh, the, the news of the Syrian conflict was just starting to trickle in um, into our collective consciousness. And so people were curious and he, he kind of came across some really strange questions because people didn't really know where Syria was even or understand what his life was like. Um, so he wanted to help his fellow classmates understand that where he came from, he had cell phones and video games, just like they do here, um, that they have a modern society and they went to school and it wasn't some kind of, you know, I guess preconceived notion of what we think Syria and the Middle East might be. And so I said, okay, this is wonderful. Um, how can we help your classmates understand what's going on? So he showed me um, something that he had tried to write for his uh, English language arts teacher. Um, and what he had done is the assignment was, you know, one of those typical beginning of the year assignments, you know, write about your life. And using Google Translate in Arabic, he had wrote about um, him living in Iraq, growing up in Iraq, moving to Syria just as the Syrian conflict was breaking out, um, and then what that meant. And so he wrote this paragraph in Arabic, hit translate in Google Translate, and it kind of spit out this discombobulated, you know, awkwardly translated paragraph, and he showed it to me. And I said, wow, like, you know what, why don't we work on this together? Um, that was the, you know, ELL teacher sneakily trying to sneak some grammar work and stuff in. But um, I said, why don't we um, write a speech for you to give to our students? And he loved that idea because, again, he wanted to help people understand why there was this conflict going on. And so as we kind of moved forward with this idea, um, it was really important, of course, to get consent from his parents and from his family. And so he didn't actually come back and we didn't actually start talking about his life until about two weeks later after he had gone home and talked to his family about it. And they said, yep. And together him and his father came up with a list of about 22 things that he could tell me. And we would sit down after school and at lunchtime, um, work on this project because it was also really important um, that um, I propose it as a side project that we would do on our own time so it didn't interrupt with the normal progress of um, his studies. 
So that's kind of how this started to evolve. As we spent more and more time together, um, it became really clear that this wasn't going to be just like a, you know, a 15 minute speech that I was going to write for him. Um, in my mind, I was so touched by the things that had happened. I was so fascinated by his life that I wanted to write it into a short story so that I could hand it over to him at the end of the year and go, this is your life and you should be so proud of having lived this life. And I guess in my fairly typical manner, I bit off more than I could chew because this short story ended up being a novel because there's just so much compelling stuff that um, we were talking about that it kind of turned into a novel that way. That's great. Thank you for that. I mean, I, I think you took us through the whole experience, but I, I do want to unpack a few things um, that, that kind of jumped out to me. One, you, you mentioned in that, in that description that um, Abubakar wanted to talk about how, you know, a lot of his life um, during those times of crisis was, was similar to sort of what people are doing here. And I, I remember sort of reading the book and, and looking at the references to playing video games and playing soccer and, and messing around with his cousins. Um, and, and, you know, and I'm going to ask him this question as well, but how much of that was put in the book to sort of tell people that, hey, look, or show people here that these, these things happen no matter what when you're young? And how much of it was, um, I, I, you know, I, I, I want to I kind of show people that, like, I had distractions from um, the difficulties in my life. W where was the balance there, do you think? Um, well, for Abubakar, and I'll let him speak to um, to this, but I know for him, it was really important for him to show his classmates, like, I'm not th that different from you, you know, because people in their curiosity, although incredibly well-meaning and wanting to know, like, they had no idea because, I mean, he told me a question that someone had asked him that, like, blew me away and blew him away because they're, like, someone had said, oh, this is the classroom. These are chairs. Did you have classrooms and chairs, you know, in Syria? And of course they did, right? And so for him, um, like, that was so obvious because it's really easy for us to forget um, that Syria is a modern um, society, just like how we are, but we have these images in our heads that we have to kind of overcome. So he wanted to really clarify that. For me, as an educator, um, and well, it's like knowing that empathy is so important and we are able to make connections and we are able to form relationships with people that we go, hey, we have something in common. And so when I was writing the book, um, I made a intent, like it was completely intentional for me to show exactly how beautifully ordinary this student's life was. And that's also kind of the scary part is, is that it was so ordinary. Mm, so yeah. of well, if it could happen there, where else could it happen? So it was really important in terms of, you know, um, we like making it very clear that he's just like the rest of us. And that's why I 
put in all those details that for me are just these hallmarks of childhood. And I loved it. I loved being able to see his report cards and everything like that. And I wanted to show that this is just like any other student in my classroom. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think they're, they're beautifully woven in into the story. And I think, you know, there's sort of just enough there. It's almost like a through line to me as I read it, just, you know, you see these things coming up and think even in like the worst of situations. And, and I love it that you just brought up, you know, something that may be a, a little bit negative and a little bit frightening is that that sort of, sort of beautiful, um, ordinary, those ordinary parts of life, um, apply to everybody. And so that means that this situation isn't unique to Syria, unique to Iraq, unique to Abu Bakr, that this is the kind of thing, you know, that, that, that unfortunately really could happen to anybody. And the idea of using that as a vehicle, um, for empathy to me, I think, um, I think is amazing. Um, and so as you added those elements to the story, which are, ordinary things, but there's also some things in there that are, that are really highly personal that, that he tells and highly intimate, as you can imagine with this kind of story. So it it must've taken a lot of trust um, between you and him to, for you to actually tell this story. I'm curious, what do you think, what do you think the qualities um, were that helped you establish that relationship with him and vice versa so that you could collaborate with him to tell this story? Well, you know, and I suppose that's, it's something that's very foundational as educators. Like that's what we do is we work on building trust and building that rapport and you start really, really small. And I think um, what was really important and I think it probably helped secure and continue to grow that trust was I never pushed Abubakar in terms of the stories and the details that he wanted to share with me. Um, it was really important. Like whenever we had these after school or lunchtime sessions, I would start by saying, okay, Bakar, what do you want to talk about today? And so he guided that process. And so for him, it was a choice of what do I want to talk about? And those conversations would get deeper and deeper. Um, And, you know, he would oftentimes tell me a lot because that's kind of how it is, right? It's like opening the Pandora's box. Um, And then sometimes he would walk it back and go, actually, okay, maybe don't talk about that or don't write about that. And as soon as he said that, it was like, yep, done. Like I, it was really important for me to honor his sense of privacy and his sense of his family's privacy as well, because it wasn't just his family, his own stories that he was telling me, but you know, what was happening with his parents and with his siblings and everything like that. So I think when he saw that I was honoring that, that helped further the trust. Um, But it was also, you know, again, when teachers are building rapport with their students, it's a give and take. And so these weren't just one way dialogues, like these were, you know, truly conversations between two people sharing their lives. And so I think as I told him things that his stories reminded me of, it was, you know, you were able to kind of put aside this idea of, I am telling my whole story to someone who's writing it down to something more, um, more of like a conversation, just like how we're having a conversation. And I think it was also really important Um, And also really difficult for me, you know, because I'm a teacher and teachers often have students share their lives with us. And, you know, oftentimes it's really 
dark and difficult things for them to digest. And I think one of the most necessary things, necessary gifts that we can give to anyone who needs to share something with us is just to sit back and to listen. And for me, that's difficult because I'm a teacher. I want to jump in with, um, with, with, you know, my comments, my questions, my advice, but it was really important to just allow him that space to talk about what he needed to talk about. And I think within that, he felt safe to tell me what he was telling me. Yeah. So it sounds to me like, um, you learned a lot from the process as well. And I think you're right as teachers and maybe just in general as caregivers, you know, we have a tendency and I'll speak for myself to sort of listen, um, quickly and then say, all right, how can I solve this problem? Like, what can I do to fix this now? So I can move on to what the next problem is. And one thing that's, that struck me in a lot of conversations I've had, um, on this podcast with others, um, and just speaking with people who work with these students and refugee students in general is, and you mentioned it, just listening and being present and opening up yourself um, and having conversations and that companionship and community and culture um, is so crucial. And it sounds like that also went a long way to build up that trust so that you were able to um, to to complete such a, such an amazing project. So one thing that I think is important to talk about, Winnie, is um, the fact that, you know, despite uh, Abubakar's language ability, which was pretty low at the time, you were able to work with him. And, and you know, we'll say for the record that you were the one who, who wrote the book, um, but you were able to, to bring him in to tell his story about something that was really important to him. And, you know, I think this is something that we can all learn from. We may not all have the opportunity to sit with a student and, and write his or her story in, in, in a narrative form. But I'm curious as to what advice you might give to others who are trying to work with their students to personalize their learning and do something that really is important to them. What advice would you give to teachers who are confronted with that challenge? Well, first, I think it's so important to acknowledge how difficult it is for educators. I mean, I understand that my situation was extremely um, different because having the luxury of one-on-one pull-out time with a student is something that most of us are not regularly afforded. And so what teachers manage on a regular basis in their classroom, managing so many different diverse needs, um, is a much more realistic picture than my one-on-one pull-out time. But I think the most important thing that I learned from this experience is just something that we're doing naturally as educators is that we have to notice what engages the students, right? So in terms of working with my other ELL students, working with a boot cart taught me and reminded me that um, in order for any kind of real meaningful learning to happen for any of my students, um, ESL or otherwise, there has to be a level of engagement. Abubakar latched onto this because this was something that was, he was genuinely interested in and he was passionate about it. And so, you know, we as teachers, we find those tricks all the time, you know, oh, we find out a lot of our students in this class are really interested in, you know, dystopian novels. And so our 
our class. Novel study will be, will be a dystopian novel. And so I think, I know that most educators, including myself, cannot find that level of time on a regular basis to sit down and really, really dive deep. But you can still have those really small, meaningful interactions where um, you're paying attention to what the students are engaged in and using that as a way into meaningful language acquisition. The reason why Bubakar's language improves so drastically isn't because of him necessarily telling me the stories. He did have to, because he was trying so hard to help me understand what was going on in his life, um, he did learn a lot of English, right? So that he could be understood. But at the same time, especially in the beginning, there was a lot of silent moments where he's frantically typing something into Google to translate, and then he's turning the screen to me, and then I'm saying it to him in the most simplified English that I could think of. And we used a lot of, you know, translation devices like that. We would mime things, um, sometimes in the most hilarious way. And then there was a lot of vocabulary that he didn't even have the Arabic vocabulary for, like for example, weaponry. And so we would have to go on Google image search and look for things and he would point at things that he recognized. And through my own research, that's where I would go, oh, okay, well, he's talking about, you know, grad rockets or, or something like that. And so I guess where his language really progressed was when he, we were looking at him giving a speech. And that's when I noticed a big uptake in his um, spoken um, proficiency. Because I wrote a speech for him, and the way that he learned it is that I recorded it for him, and he would spend a lot of time listening and trying to copy that. He basically was able to kind of recognize those patterns of speech and apply it to his own regular everyday usage. And also by working with giving a speech because he had to form everything and he wanted to make sure he was very clear and that he could be understood, um, that helped his language proficiency a lot. Not his written or his reading, but definitely his listening and his speaking um, dramatically improved by the idea of public speaking. So from that perspective, it really worked, is giving him a speech that he wanted to give to other students. Yeah, and all that language acquisition allows him obviously to function better in Canadian society and in his community, but also allows him to do the thing that I feel like was exciting for him as a learner and as a person, which was to tell his story. Whereas um, other students, you know, who maybe are a little bit more introverted or shy or whatever, maybe aren't interested in, in that kind of thing. They're interested in other things. But what you're saying is, you know, find out what makes these kids tick um, and that's going to help them be motivated to learn the language in order to, in this case, tell their story. But it could be in another case, it could be something um, completely different. And I, I, you know, it must be amazing for you um, to kind of see a newcomer like Abubakar not only succeed in, in the language acquisition, but, but to be able to, um, for him to be able to actually have that gift of telling his story, which is what he seemed to really want to do. And to take it another level, uh, and here's my question, I'm curious what, what it's been like to see the reactions of others who now have been able to not only read his story, but perhaps hear it from him or hear it from you. What has that been like as you speak with people who have either read the story or heard his story from him? <laughs> um, 
quite honestly, it's been a very surreal experience. Um, but, you know, I think that cultivating active citizens and kind of that social justice aspect in our students is also really, really important. And that's why um, both Abubakar and I have loved this project so much is because it's a chance for us to get out there to, you know, build empathy by telling stories um, because I so truly believe in the power of stories and how sharing our personal narrative weaves us into a community. Um, but the great thing is that it doesn't just go one way. When you tell someone your story, they reciprocate and they tell you about their life. And so seeing people respond that way, seeing people going up to him and go, oh my goodness, I read your book and it reminded me of this. And, um, you know, it's been such a gift and it's a lovely reminder about kind of why we work so hard at building our classroom communities is because by creating these safe spaces where kids can talk to each other and kids can share their experiences, um, you know, you're creating this little world, even if it's just within your classroom, where there's a lot more understanding and a lot more empathy and a lot more care because ultimately we're not going to care about what's going on in, you know, Puerto Rico or, or Syria or anywhere if we don't have some kind of personal connection to it. And so that's what I think is really powerful. And that's what I think is the ultimate gift of this process is just the idea that we're creating little communities of understanding wherever we go. Yeah, that's great. I think that, you know, that it just, it starts a cycle um, of good things and of positivity and of people, like you said, sharing stories. And it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, which is the idea of, you know, creating a community, um, inspiring conversations, and therefore sort of creating empathy and understanding among people who may come from very different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious what the future um, holds for you and or uh, Abubakar, and we'll let Abubakar speak speak to this on his own. But um, what what is? Do you have any plans to do more with this, um, or are you going to kind of go back and uh, um, you know get get ready for the school year and start with a new crop of students? What is the what does the future hold? Um, through and through, I am a teacher, and so I'm definitely gearing up for um, our upcoming school year here. And I mean. The plan, and it has been all along, because when I self-published the book um, back in June of 2016, I actually had talked to Abubakar about the possibilities. And for me, when I got to the possibility of, well, maybe I'll find a publisher who'll actually publish this book, and it's not just me printing copies and selling them out of my, you know, my trunk or something. Um, I the way that we saw it was that. Every single step that we go, um, whether it is getting published um, to, you know, having our book, you know, not just in Canada, but, you know, in the States or, you know, all over the world, like every single step along the way is just these bonus little dreams. And so we have some really exciting opportunities to go around Canada, um, speaking at um, festivals and conferences um, about the book and about this idea of storytelling and power of storytelling. But honestly, as exciting as that all is, I guess at the end of the day, part of my mind is occupied with, okay, 
let's see what's uh, incoming with this next batch of students and everything like that. So, yeah, Does that, I don't know if that answers the question. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I sense, I sense a little bit, of, and, and I completely understand and empathize with a little bit of uh, uh, of sort of internal conflict there. Um, but as as a lifelong sort of educator myself, I can completely understand. You know, and I've been out of the classroom now. This will be my third year, which is which is crazy to me. It seems doesn't seem like that long. But you know, this time of the year is full of anticipation, um, a little bit of anxiety and excitement about the new group of students coming in. And I mean, it sounds like as much as I would love to go somewhere in Canada or even the States to see you and Abubakar uh, talk about storytelling, I would encourage you to do that, but you also can't spread yourself um, too thin. And certainly if you're an educator at heart, it sounds like the students that you have coming this year and next year um, are going to be lucky to have you even more so now that you um, have this experience under your belt. So I, that's, that's a, that's a, I highly respect that answer and I completely understand. Thank you. So is there a book or a resource that has had a profound effect on you either professionally or personally that you'd like to share with listeners besides Holmes, which I, it had, did have an effect on me and I think people should definitely read? Uh, uh, I always have those moments when someone says that. I'm like, oh, no, I'm not sure how to take that compliment, but thank you. <laughs> um, in terms of a resource, um, I would highly recommend Jan Stewart's Supporting Refugee Students on Strategies for Educators. Um, I find that her approach um, to helping our refugee students, that it can be applied to all you know, of our students. And that's the thing that we know as educators, right? Um, these strategies that we use on our high need students, regardless of their need, um, is good sound practice for all of our students, um, despite their level of achievement. So I would highly recommend Supporting Refugee Children, Strategies for Educators from Jan Stewart. That's great. And that just proves that you're a teacher at heart because you chose a book um, that, that helps your teaching. And I'm also glad you mentioned something we think quite about quite often here at Elevation is that, you know, good strategies for English language learners or um, good strategies for, uh, for students who, who may be underserved in any way or the other are also good strategies for all students. And that's, um, that, that's really important to us as well. So I'm glad you mentioned it. And I do want to come back to your book, to Holmes, because I want people to know how they can um, find it. So if someone wants to read it, what's the best way to, to find it and to buy it? Um, well, of course, uh, Holmes, A Refugee Story is probably available in your local bookstore. And if they don't have it, they can certainly order it in for you. Um, also, though, it is available online in print and as an ebook on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, iBooks, Google Play, Kobo, you know, the usual sources, as well as directly from my publisher, and that's FreehandBooks.com. Great. And we'll link to that, uh, all that information on the episode notes so that people can find it. And with that, I just want to put one more um, plug in about the book. I mean, I, I said it in the intro and I'll say it again. I read it. And it was a game changer for me, really a wonderful story. Um, and just to hear you talk about it and give us the origin story, uh, talk about your relationship with Abubakar, your relationship with your other students, and give us some advice on what we can do uh, to help students like Abubakar um, was really a gift to me and to, to all of our listeners. So thank you so much for joining us. And we'll um, come back and speak with Abubakar uh, as well. 
Thank you for sharing this time with us. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community, where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.